Amen. Good. So we're on part two of the series that we're doing right now on the heart of the Father. And the point of the series is to specifically look at God's heart, the way he thinks, the way he feels, the way he acts towards us, that we can be instructed in the grace of God, that, that we can respond toward him in, a, in an appropriate way and then interact toward others, our, our family and our friends, coworkers, in a way that shows that our heart's instructed by God. So um, look here at the, at, the, at the outline. I want to read a couple verses. Of course, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, you know this. The love chapter, when it begins to describe what love is, says love is patient, love is kind. goes on to say love does not envy, is not puffed up. And uh, the thing that I like to do, and I would encourage you to do this in a, your own personal time when you're studying the Bible, I like to take that chapter and in place of love, just put the Father. The Father. Because we know from, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we know that God is love. So I, I like to read 1 Corinthians 13 this way. The Father is patient. The Father is kind. The Father does not envy, and the Father is not arrogant. And just read it through that way and allow those truths about who He is to settle on my heart. Well, what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to focus on who he is as the kind father. The kind father. And I'm aware of this, and I, and I say this often when I teach on the heart of the father, that if we were to talk about attributes of a father, and we had people just write them down based on their own experiences... We would have as many different opinions about what God is like and what a father is like as we have people in the room. Because so many people have had so many different experiences, some good, bad, and ugly, you know, all over the map uh, about what God is like. And, and so every person has a different picture. And I talked last week about how, you know, if, you, if you've had an experience that's been really positive and, and that you had a father that... that you know, he acted at least a little bit like God for you. That left positive imprints upon you. You know, positive fingerprints so that you could think about how your dad acted and you could say, well, God is, God's like that, but he's like that in an infinite way. I mean, to the, to the greatest possible extent. And then we also talked about that if you had a negative experience with a father or father figures, that that doesn't disqualify you from knowing God's heart. And we talked about old school pictures, how they actually use real film. It's not just digital. And how those film, uh, those pictures, those color photographs are developed from a negative. And that even if you've had a negative imprint, you can still develop a beautiful color picture of who God really is and what he's really like. And so... This is what I want to do, is I want to dial in about who, on, on this issue of who He is as the kind God, and I want to tie that to how we re, re, react or respond to Him uh, in, in the area of confidence. And I'm going to expound on this thing about having confidence in the love of God in, in, in a few moments, because I feel like that's one of the most critical and crucial it's really one of the most critical and crucial, you know, expressions you can have in your heart is confidence in God's love for you. So uh, look at this in Matthew 5, verse 44. It's Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at this. He's going to say some tough words, you know. It's when, usually when I read this, I go, wow, I'm, I need grace to be better at that. He says, I say to you, love your enemies. You can just stop right there and give the altar call, can't we? <laughs> it's just like, man, I'm not good at that. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Like, I'm four for four in need of grace right there. And he says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he, he makes his son 
rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, when we see somebody who is genuinely kind, genuinely loving, and they act genuinely kind and genuinely loving to the person who's genuinely unkind and genuinely unloving, it makes an impact on us, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's easy to be kind to the person that's kind, isn't it? You know, you go to the store and, and the clerk, they're all happy and smiley, and you can be all happy and smiley back, and we walk out there feeling just good. They were so nice, and I'm so nice, and we're all so nice, aren't we? And then you go right from there to the, the gas station or the restaurant, and, uh, you know, the person's got an attitude with you. And they've had, a, you know, who knows what kind of a day they've had. They're just, they're just mean. And, you know, they just treat you bad. Can I help you? Well, yes, I, I, I'd like to have a seat. Okay, fine, follow me. And then, you know, they sit you down, and, and they just kind of rough with you. And, and, you. and they walk off, and you think, you know, they must have flunked customer service class, you know. They, they, they clearly don't get that the customer comes first. Service with a smile and all that point. And, and it's amazing to me how it's so easy for us to be kind when, we're, when somebody's kind to us, but how, to, how we judge and mistreat when we're mistreated. And the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite. To actually be kind when we're mistreated. That's so hard. Because our unre- in our unregenerate man, and our old man, we don't want to act like that. The flesh doesn't want to love the unlovely, doesn't want to be kind to the, the, the person that's unkind. But Jesus gives us directives. Be kind. Be, be generous. Pray for and bless those that mistreat you, that abuse you, that persecute you, that spitefully use you, that curse you and hate you. I was just in my mind just thinking about, you know, I'm just imagining a scenario, you know. You, you, you pull up at the, at the, at the uh, Costco, you get out of your car, and, and, and the person is yelling at you because you took their parking spot. And you didn't know you took their parking spot, but they're not just yelling, they're just cussing you up and down, they're cursing you, dropping F-bombs left and right. And you're just like, I didn't know, I thought, and, and you know, I just, I'm just imagining in my mind somebody in that situation, they, st- they pull into the, the parking lot, they get out of the car, and there's somebody just cussing them, and they just go, I am just so sorry. I'm so, let me, let me pack, let me back my car out for you, and let me let you park here, and I'll park somewhere else. In fact, you know what, here's a hundred dollars. Just for your groceries. You know, let me just bless you right now. Imagine you're with a friend and they do that. You'd be looking at them like, have you like lost it? Like what's going on with you? And then they move their car. And you're just like, man, I can't believe that guy was cussing you out. And they're like, oh, you know, they probably had a hard time. Let's just pray for them right now. (laughs) Lord, bless them. Touch them, God. Fill them with your heart. Let them know how much you love them. God, let them prosper. Let good things happen for them right now. Whatever you're going to bless me with, God, give it to them. Amen. You'd just be like, what? What is going on here? Jesus instructs us to live like that. Now, this I'm not giving you a teaching on Christian character right now. I'm giving you a teaching on God's kindness. And here's the point. If somebody acted like that, that would shock us. And if we're honest, no matter how spiritual you are in here right now, to do that would be very difficult. You'd have to have like four hours in prayer that morning. And you'd be like, like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit right now. I can do it, you know. Just Just to manage that. Jesus says, 
See, we can read it improperly. We can read it like this. Do good to those who hate you that you can be a good Christian. We can think that's what it's saying. It's not what it's saying. Look at again what it says. It says, do all these things, verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, is he saying that this qualifies you to be born again? No. This isn't about a qualification to be a child of God. What it is, it's, <laughs> what he's saying is, do these things that you can look like your Father in heaven. In other words, he identifies kindness at this you know, superlative level and calls us to it so that we would look like God the Father. Why? Because the Father is like that. And we don't really get it that we're being called to kindness and love and blessing right here because that's what the Father's like. And then he goes on to say, he makes his son, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He goes, do these things, be kind, be generous, pray for them, because you want to act like the Father. That's how the Father acts. He gives good things to those that hate him. He blesses those who curse them. He goes, just consider the sun. He doesn't just only allow the sun to shine on the righteous. And here's how we kind of do the math. We kind of deduce it this way. We go, you know, that's good that the sun rises and it sets and, 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 and that God allows that to touch the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And <clears throat> that's, that's nice that he gives rain for the righteous and the unrighteous. But we kind of put that in the like, minimal acts of kindness category. Like God just does the minimal amount necessary to be a sort of like qualify as good to the unjust. But that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying he set up a universal context by which his kindness covers evil and good. His kindness covers and is manifest towards evil and good because that's what his nature is. He set it up in creation that rain would fall on evil and good. He set it up in creation that the sun would shine on evil and good. He's speaking into the agricultural, uh, the agrarian, agrarian culture of their society. If you didn't get sun and you didn't get rain, guess what else you didn't get? Food. If you didn't have crops, guess what else you didn't have? Money. He's speaking right into that, and he's saying, God takes care of the wicked in his kindness because he's, he's kind, he's gentle, he's tender as a father. He takes care of even the wicked. He goes, so, act like him. And don't curse. Do good and pray for them, even the ones that hate you. And, and so, while it does instruct us in this area of, of our character, well, what we really miss is that God is kind beyond our wildest dreams. Whatever the picture is that you had of that person that was being amazing to the person that cussed them out at Costco, whatever that picture is, that's what God's like. That's his, his disposition. Kind, tender. Looking for the opportunity to bless even the unrighteous and even the wicked. That's what he's like. I don't know what you think his heart is like, but that's why Jesus gives us that. He goes on to say that the Father is perfect in love, therefore be perfect. And the way we tend to read it is we go, oh, I'm disqualified. I'm so not perfect. And he goes, the point isn't whether you're perfect or not. The point is the Father is. And he, he, he identifies his perfection in love as how kind he is to the unkind. How loving he is to the unlovely. How generous he is to the one who hates him. Now, 
if the father is generous to the ungrateful and the hateful, think about it. If he's generous to the ungrateful and the hateful, what is he to the one who is his child? What is his disposition towards you? God is kind. He's, he's more kind than you've ever imagined. He's far beyond your wildest dreams in his kindness. He's so tender and so compassionate like we talked about last week. We've never met one as kind as him. He's perfect in kindness, even to the most unlovely, undeserving. And that's what he calls us to know him as. See, this is one thing I understood maybe about a decade ago, and it helped me whenever I saw directives in the scripture. See, whenever you see a direct command in the scripture, be perfect as the Father is perfect, what it is is an invitation in the grace of God to know God in that way so that from the well of the knowledge of who he is, it can impact you and then you can share that elsewhere. Any directive, be patient, is a directive to know the patience of God. Any directive, be kind, be generous, be gentle, be tender, whatever it is, be loving. It is a, it's a, not just a directive, it's an invitation in the grace of God to know God in that attribute. When you read the scripture like that, you understand, man, this thing is all about an invitation to know his heart. Because just like we were all defeated by those first four, you know, do good and bless and pray and for the people that are uncoming and unlovely, just like we were all defeated by that, the, the point wasn't getting defeated. The point was the invitation to know him in that. Just as your father. So for us, it should go, well, I don't even know how he acts. I need to know how he acts so that I can experience that for myself, drink of the well of his kindness, and then express kindness to others. And here's the trap we get into. We get into this trap of trying to act like what a Christian should act like instead of acting like someone who knows the Father. Massive difference in there, guys. Massive difference. So when you're walking around trying to act like what a Christian should act like, it's, you know, it's, it's like living in your own strength. I know it says to be kind, but I'm not kind. I don't want to be kind. You, you ever? Like none of y'all ever? Okay. I mean, there's tons of times I go, I know what I'm supposed to act like, but I don't feel like that right now. And I, 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 don't, I don't know how theological your prayer life is. Mine's kind of like this. Help. <laughs> help me. God, help. Me, God. And some more help and some more me and more, more, more God. I mean, I need help. I need to know you like this. I'm so impatient. And I stare at you and you're infinitely patient. You're infinitely patient with me. His patience rescues me from judgment towards others, I mean. I stare at his patience with me and I go, God, you've been so kind. You've been so patient. You've been so good. And then he goes, uh-huh. And how is that that you were feeling towards so-and-so? And I go, ooh, not kind, not patient, not so good. He goes, think about how I treat you. Turn around and treat them the same. That's what Jesus is doing here. Here's the real question. Do you know the Father who's kind? Do you know the Father who's kind towards you? I know this is simple, 
But I would suggest this. If we have a hard time being kind towards the unlovely, we may not know the kindness of God towards us. Love toward the unlovely is love 101. Because that's God 101. He loved you while you were yet a sinner, while you hated him. In my mind, I always go back to this time when I was about 15. And my friends and I, we were bad kids who did bad stuff. And there was this church that was under construction. It was not far from my house. And we would go hang out in, this, in their building. They would build it during the day, and then the hellions would go in there and hang out at night. And I, there was a thing in my heart. I just hated God, and I just wanted, I wanted to do bad things in a, in a church. I just did. I was, I was wicked. Needed some deliverance. And I remember standing in that church facility saying, if you're real, strike me down. Prove it to me. You're not real. When he didn't strike me down. And what it was is I was relating to him upon my own image of who he was. I just thought he was a God of lightning bolts and thunder. He goes, oh, I see you, little man. I got you. I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to fill you with my kindness. I got you. Strike you down. I'm going to crucify you. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. You'll be crucified with my son. And I can joyfully say today, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. See, that's kindness. I didn't deserve that. And see, we tend to identify his kindness to us in salvation, but then we tend to think that once we get saved, his kindness is over, and he's like on us. Like, did you do what I told you to do? You didn't? Mm, bad mark for you. Did you do what I told No, two bad marks for you. You know it's three strikes and you're out. And we tend to think that's how he acts towards us. Guys, that's not it at all. He knows your frame. He knows that you're dust. He knows what you're made of. He knows what you're like. He knows what it will take to fully grab your heart. He knows the ups and downs. He knows all the ingredients necessary to bring from you the greatest heart of voluntary love. He knows. He knows what makes you tick. He knows how to steward you into righteousness. And he's gentle towards you. He hasn't given you what you deserve. Thank God. And he hasn't given you everything you've asked for. Thank God. But he's tender and he's kind. And I'm just telling you, do you you really know him like that? Because if you really know his kindness, it won't make you flippant. Somebody right now is thinking, oh, good, I can get away with it. Now, that's not the point of knowing his kindness at all. The point of knowing his kindness is once you actually come in contact with his kindness, then you say, oh, my gosh, you've been so good to me. I don't ever, I don't ever want to press the boundaries ever again. It's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance when we really get it, when we really get it. God's kindness and his grace are not a license to sin. They're a compelling agent out of sin. You see? So when we really understand kindness, we understand his heart. And he's so tender and kind towards us. He's the kindest one you've ever met. He's the kindest one you'll ever know. It's what makes his heart tick. And that's how he's looking at you right now. It's with a kind disposition. You could be a wreck and he's looking at you with a kind disposition. You could be coming in here trying to act like a Christian without the reality of it in your soul for real, and it's, there's just complete disparity between what's on the inside and what's on the outside, and he's still kind towards you. Because that's who he is. God is love, love, is patient, love is kind. Do you know 
the kindness of God. It will impact and change the way you think, the way you act, the way you treat others, the way you work, the way you do family. It will change everything if you know kindness. If you know his kindness. Now, I'm establishing that because my point in this series is to take facets of his heart, stare at them, and then allow them to impact us so it changes how we act. So now look at Roman numeral two. And I want to talk about confidence in the love of the Father. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. I can talk to you philosophically about the kind God, but unless it engages you, and unless you, you experience it, and unless you experientially understand his kindness towards you, and, and you recognize how he leads and tends you, reality in your life. It, it, won't, it won't have an outcome in your life. And so this is where we got to get to. We've got to get to where his tenderness and his kindness are not just attributes that we know about him, they're that we have with him. And then that changes us. Am I making sense? It can't just be philosophy it's got to have a tactile, you know, rooting in our lives. So confidence, confidence in the love of the Father. And this is what I would say, that once you begin to know and understand the love that God has for you, like John talked about in 1 John, we've come to know and understand the love that God has for us. Once you understand the love that God has for you, confidence is what's birthed on the inside of you. Real confidence. Not talking about flippancy and recklessness. See, because you can look at somebody who's reckless and flippant, and they look like somebody who's confident and bold. And then they do their reckless flippancy, and it turns into a train wreck, and you go, what was that? And it wasn't somebody operating by the heartbeat of God. It was just somebody just sort of being reckless, because they know, they know things with their head, but they're not operating by the, the leadership of the Spirit. There's this place that you come to in the love of God where confidence roots in you and it creates boldness in you. Confidence in love. If I, I, I tell you what, if I could take and, and put in my hand, you know, one thing that would just shift the church, I, I, would, I would take a... <laughs> a ball of confidence and love and put it in every person's chest because it would change how every, every one of us interacts. Changes how we act toward one another, how we act toward the lost, and it would change us primarily how we act toward God. Much of the way we act toward God is, is actually, it's based in insecurities. It's not based in confidence. When you feel and you do not want to approach God when you've failed or when you've sinned. That shame is a product of a lack of, his, of confidence in his love. Insecurity in your position in life. Insecurity in your identity. Insecurity and what you've accomplished or what you achieve, have achieved or what you will achieve. Is it going to work? Is it going to happen? Or what you will receive. Insecurity in any measure and any means is a byproduct of a lack of confidence and love. Am I communicating? Confidence and love. I mean, the, you know, the scripture says in Proverbs, and all you're getting, get understanding, get wisdom and understanding. And I would say, and get confidence in love, which really confidence in love falls under it. I could extrapolate it, but it really does fall under get wisdom and understanding. Confidence in love, it, it, what it does, the, 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 the most natural way I can say it is it matures you on the inside. You ever, you ever meet somebody and they're in their 40s and you think, any different than a 13-year-old? You ever? Don't point. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about believers. They've been saved a long time. They're 
40, 50, 60, but there's just that insecurity, that, like that just, it, there's not that anchoring in there. And you go, man, what's missing with you? Love. Faith works by love. Confidence in love is what enables you, your soul, to settle. It's, it's what brings you to a place of maturity on the inside where you're not frantic, you're not worried, you're not insecure, you're not running around trying to prove and, and, and you know, prove yourself and, and trying to gain for yourself and trying to make a name for yourself. Confidence in love enables you to rest knowing that the Father's got you. He's just got you. You don't have to know all the answers when you're confident in love. He's got you. You don't have to know how it's going to work out because he's got you. He's got you. Confidence in love. I, I say it like this. It's, it's such a cornerstone of the Christian's life. Without confidence in love, we live insecure. And boldness ends up being a, by, a byproduct of knowing God's love. And I think there's so much time and energy and effort and emotional output that people, they, they waste on trying to prove themselves or trying to attain or, 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 or trying to, you know, build for themselves. And, and, and instead, if they knew the love of the Father and if they were confident in God's love, they'd realize, I can't, I can't lose with you. You like me, and you're kind. And he says, that's right, you can't lose with me. I love you as you are. I love you in your weakness. I love you no matter what. I love you on your best day. I love you on your worst day. I love you when you succeed, and I love you when you fail. I love you when you do righteousness, and I love you when you sin. I love you ever still. I love you forever. I love you forever. It's called everlasting love. He's loved you from forever to forever. You can't undo that. Most believers live their lives trying to get in a room that they're already in called accepted in the beloved. He's made you accepted in the beloved. When that settles on the inside of you, the toiling for validity ends. One more digit on the income doesn't mean anything. You know, one more letter behind the name doesn't mean anything. A another title that, that trumps the previous title. Well, now I'm the executive vice president director. That doesn't mean anything. Take your EVP D-ship and just, you know, who cares? Because it's not about that. It's about having a father who's got you. He's got you. It settles in your soul, and all of a sudden, your insecurities, you're toiling for validity, you're trying to prove yourself to every person around you that you're worthy to be loved or worthy to be accepted or worthy to be firmed. It just goes away. You trust God. He, he leads. He leads well. He's got you. It's such a critical thing. And then when you're living in that place of confidence in your soul, there's boldness that comes on you, not brashness, not arrogance. So often what I see that's parading is Christian boldness. It's like people trying to prove to themselves that they really believe it. I'll prove that God's real right now. I'm going to go and just go crazy. They just go nuts. They do crazy stuff. Trying to be bold, imagining that, that somehow if they attain something in Christianity, it proves their spirituality and it proves that they're with God. And that's just silly. He's not trying to get you to live like that. He's trying to get you to live settled in your soul, able to hear his voice, and willing to obey. Just willing to follow. Half the time we have a problem with obedience, half the time we have a problem with obedience is because we believe that call us into something that's really bad for us. But if you know the love of the Father, 
whether our experience is massive blessing or, or massive challenge, whether it's suffering or easy, yoke, it doesn't matter because his love is what sustains us and his love is what identifies us and his love is what defines us. His love, his care, his kindness, guys. When that settles, then your, your station at your job or your income or, or the way that they talked to you or treated you, none of that is what's important. Most people live fighting the wrong fight. Fight for confidence on the inside and you're like Teflon. That stuff just doesn't stick to you. So let me wrap this up with these three points. So John... Who's, who's known as the Apostle of Love, <clears throat> in, in his gospel, he actually refers to the Father three times more than the next highest gospel, which is Matthew. Just about three times more. In fact, John gives us more about the Father than all three other gospels combined. John knew the Father's heart in a way that maybe none of the other apostles did. Because John seemed to be that one that was able to put his head on Jesus' breast. He knew Jesus more, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the revelation of the Father was deeply rooted in John. He expresses it in his gospel. And then in his letters, in his epistles, he expounds primarily on the love of God and he draws out from the love of God the issue of confidence. He draws out confidence as one of the main points. And that's what I want to just give you these last 10 minutes. So look at this. Confidence in the love of the Father. Three specific types of confidence that John outlined in his epistle. One is confidence before him, two is confidence toward him, and three is confidence in him. All right, top of page two. 1 John 2.8. 1 John 2.28. So look at these three specific ways that we have confidence before him, toward him, and in him. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. Confidence before him. You see it? Do you see it? We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. John gives us this point. He said, this confidence comes from abiding in him. And I will reference for you right now John chapter 15. He wrote them both. He wrote this, and he wrote John 15, and in John 15, he's giving Jesus' teaching on abiding. And how when we abide in him, we know his love. And when we abide in him, we can ask whatever, whatever it is that's on our heart, and the Lord will give it to us. Abiding in him is simply this, staying in him, remaining in him, being with him. The practical expression of abiding. Somebody goes, well, what do you mean by abiding? I mean this. Take all your internal dialogue, and we all have it. Y'all know you're talking to yourself all the time. What do I want to wear today? I mean, you're always talking to yourself. Take your internal dialogue and include the Father. That's the easiest way to abide. Just talk to the Father. Oh, Lord. I think I'm going to wear this today. He's like, mm-hmm. He just wants to be in on the conversation. He just wants to be in on the conversation. You think, see, we tend to think, oh, he's got more important things than me. No, you are the important thing that he's got. Get him in on your conversation by taking your internal dialogue and turning it into prayer. That's how we pray without ceasing. That's how we abide. So you talk internally to the Father, and then in your, in your in-between times, just pray in the Spirit. I pray in the Spirit all the time. With my family, I pray in the Spirit out loud. <laughs> and it's just, it, probably if we were like on one of those TV shows where they followed you around like, 
house with the Humphreys. It would be really weird because I'll just be in the middle of a conversation. And say, yeah, son, that's cool. <laughs> but my boy, <laughs> just a little opening the door a little bit. My boys are used to it. My kids are used to it. My wife's used to it. And we'll be in the car driving somewhere, and I'll just start praying in tongues. I just do. Because why? Because I'm abiding. The Father's with us. It's not like he's not there. Let's inc- include him. So I just include him in my conversation all the time, internally, externally. And there's a confidence that comes when you have that connection, you have that flow. I know I'm, I, I know I'm there. I, I'm, I'm before him. And what it is is this. When I live before him, when he appears, I won't be freaked out to be before him. So many Christians, they've prayed to receive Jesus or whatever, and they don't live their lives before him so that when he's come, when he comes and they have to be before him, they're like, "Uh, what's that going to be like to be before him? I can tell you, he likes you. Because I'm before him a lot. And when I'm not before him, my soul begins to ache. I want to be before him, right? I don't have a perfect prayer life. It's, It's probably like, way scattershot compared to like some people that are really organized and disciplined. But I, I live my life trying to be before him and I can tell when I haven't been and my, my soul desires to be before him. And guess what? He wants me to be before him. And when you live before him, guess what? You'll be confident when he appears before him. And that's ultimately about this. It's ultimately about overcoming unrighteousness. Because when you live before him, you don't want to dabble on the side in a little this and that. And that's what he identifies in verse 29, that same chapter. He goes on to talk about whoever's before him, they live righteously. Before him equals confidence and it compels the heart to overcome unrighteousness and it readies you for the return of the Lord. That's what he's saying. Second, confidence not before him now, it's toward him. Look at this passage. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay our lives down for the brethren. My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Here's the deal. When you've, this, is, this is what he's talking about. Let me, let me break this down for you because this is many of your experience. It's, it's been my experience for years. Just, ge- just give me a minute to explain this. I know we're kind of running a little long, but let me just explain this. So many believers live with a guilty conscience. You know you're saved you're doing your best to living before him, but there's that thing on the inside. You just feel like you're bad or you're wrong or you did something bad. And, and you don't know how to fix the guilty conscience, especially if before you got saved you were really just crazy and sin. So often it's hard to get to that place where your conscience is no longer condemning you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nobody wants to confess to a guilty conscience. That's okay. <clears throat> but you try, you go, man, I just need to get my, like, I don't know. I just feel like something's wrong. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about when your heart condemns you because of the sinful activity that you've had in your life. It's not talking about being born again. It's not talking about being a new creation. It's not talking about, you know, who you are in him. It's talking about that you've trained your soul in sin and your soul, the conscience, that that peace that's inside of you, that that God made in his image and likeness that goes with your spirit. He's saying, when when your soul that has been, you know, uh, been pricked and your conscience has been telling you and and, and witnessing of of, of the truth and the law of God, when it starts condemning you because of your historical actions, there's something greater than that, and it's God's testimony towards you. That He loves you. He loves you. And so He says this there's this interaction of love that when you experience love, you want to do love. When love comes to you, you want it to move through you. So he goes, love in truth and love in deed. And, and let there be an expression, a, a flow of love for you. 
Caleb's got a song. Give me an outlet for love. It's the, the flow of love through the believer. And, and he talks about how there's this combination of the love of God to you and the love of God through you that brings you sh- assurance. And that our hearts get assured when we recognize the love of God in us. And so what happens is this, that over time, as the love of God is, is, is seeding your soul, your conscience quits condemning you. You get, you get delivered of that guilty conscience. And you have confidence toward him. Let me illustrate it. I was driving to a pastor's prayer meeting. It's been about three weeks ago. And I, I should have been able to be there on time, but man, the traffic was crazy. There was heavy traffic. And, uh, and as soon as we got a little break in the traffic, we just, you know, we sped up, and we were on uh, Peachtree Industrial, and we were just going with the rest of the, the traffic. And uh, there was a police officer there, and he was just sitting there, and he was just at the bottom of the hill, just doing what they do sometimes. Bless you, police officers. Love you. And um, <laughs> we're thankful for police officers, but this is my experience. So there he is, bottom of the hill. And, you know, following traffic, I was the closest car, boom, 60 and a 45. And I, I saw it. I mean, I go, oh, he just gunned me. I look down, I'm 60 and a 45, and there goes the blue lights. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a cop magnet. I am. I, I, I'm the guy that gets the 60 and the 45 ticket. It doesn't matter what I say to try to talk him out of it, I just get it. I'm like, you know, I'm pastor trying to go to pray for you, actually. And he's like, that's very nice. Sign there, Mr. Humphrey. So I sign it all up, and I'm with Hazen. And, uh, and uh, you know, we're talking. I'm like, man, this is a bummer, 16 to 45. And the guy walks up, and he's a little rude to me. You know, he goes, why are you going so fast? That's what he said to me. Roll down my window. He goes, why are you going so fast? I go, I thought I was going with traffic. He goes, you were speeding up. I go, I'm sorry, license. Comes back. I go, you know, you asked me why I was going so fast. I think it's because I was coming down a hill. You're right at the bottom. <laughs> I just, <laughs> Anyway, he goes, well, I saw you accelerate. I go, okay, okay. And I look up, and his name badge says, Officer Hassel. Praise God. Bless, we bless Officer Hassel, all of us right now. We bless him. But here, so there I am. I'm apprehended by legalism in heavy traffic on the way to pray for revival. Now, there's a message in there somewhere because the hassle was getting to me. So we drive away, and Hazen goes, man, I'd be torn up right now. He goes, or, no, no, that's what he said. He goes, he goes how are you feeling? I go, I, I'm okay, it's a hassle, but I'm feeling okay. He goes, really, your heart's okay? I go, yeah, I go, I'm a cop magnet, this is my life, I, I attract police officers. And, uh, but I can, and I told him of a story 10 years ago when I'd gotten a ticket, and I felt so condemned, because that one, the, the 10-year-old story, I'll just short it, I was worshiping, praying, with tears coming down my eyes, going down another hill at the same, <laughs> same kind of thing, going down a hill. There the guy is at the bottom of the hill, like, ha, 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 you know. I'm worshiping, praying, and boo, the blues come on. I'm like, no! How could you do this, God? And the difference was, 10 years ago, I wasn't confident in the way that he acted towards me. And I blamed him, and I accused him. And I felt, I felt done wrong by God. And he said, son... I'm not trying to trap you into speeding tickets. That's not how I do. Because you need to follow the, the rules, but that ain't me. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to get you. And I was in that moment of worship, tears running my eye. I, I got that ticket. That was 10 years earlier. But this time, I just looked at the situation. I just go, you know, he's within the bounds of the law. That's his job to give tickets to guys that are speeding. I deserve a ticket. High five, Officer Hassel, move on. God still likes me. God still likes me. But here's how you know when you got a little bit of a guilty conscience, especially if you had a rough life before you got saved, when Mr. Blue becomes behind you, if you're like, oh, dear God, what am I doing wrong? That thing can, you, that can manifest a little bit 
and show you where your conscience can be guilty at times. When you get confident towards God, you don't walk around with a guilty conscience always thinking you've done something wrong. People that uh, come to me and they say, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I say, well, I know you haven't. They say, well, how, how do you know I haven't? I go, because the people that have don't care if they have. And what you're experiencing is the product of a guilty conscience. You need to know his love. You need to get confident in love towards him. Know the way he thinks and feels about you. Lastly, we have confidence in him. This is about our eternal state. It's about knowing that we're saved, that we're born again, that we have an eternal inheritance. And when we're confident in him, we, we, we don't live this age like spiritual orphans. We can come confidently and, and, and boldly before him. And, and we know we have an inheritance. Let me just wrap this up with this, number four. John does this. When you read through these passages and you read them all in context, you'll find this. Ties confidence in love to confidence answered. When you know him and you know his love and you're confident, you know that whatever you ask him according to his will, he hears you and you know if he hears you, he answers you. Confidence in love translates to answered prayer and the manifestation of the kingdom on the earth, gang. And that's such a critical thing in the life of the believer. John makes that point very clear these last two verses. He says this, and whatever we ask, we receive. Look at the verse. It's verse 22 from chapter 3. Which is, I mean, we've already, we've already touched this chapter earlier in the passage, earlier in the, the outline. It says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And so then it goes on and says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And then 1 John 5, this passage that, that I just referenced here, goes on to say, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. I crammed a lot into this. I'd encourage you to go back, read those passages in 1 John, and make that a Bible study for yourself this week, and allow the love of God and the confidence of God to, to build in your soul, okay? Amen. Let's stand.